0: Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace My name's Tyler Short And we're glad that you've joined us for another evening, morning, afternoon, middle of the night Whenever the fuck you're listening to this um, Of country music, hardcore, shooting the shit, all that good stuff Today we're going to be talking about Steve Earle's eighth studio record, The Mountain Is this eighth? Eighth, yes Okay um, But before we get to that, Tyler, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right.
1: I'm uh I'm trying to think that we were gonna record this last week, but I saw Integrity instead.
0: Hell yeah, it was great. It was how, awesome. How how yeah? Tell tell us about it. Any highlights? They didn't play two of my favorite songs, but every other song
1: they played was awesome.
0: Yeah, they've got a they've got enough of a catalog of bangers that it's actually hard to hit them all in one set. Um, yeah, especially considering they're not headlining. Ah, uh, they weren't headlining. Who yeah? Who who else played that show? The Acacia Strain oh dude so probably a lot of people there that were not familiar with integrity freaks yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) there were tons of freaks there. yeah it was an an eclectic bunch but uh it was cool um they vibe with integrity it seemed like it i don't know i was having a blast so i kind of don't care what anybody else was doing there's beer all over the floor though i'm
0: sure and Dwight hellion who i learned when he got interviewed on axe to grind used to live in louisville
1: yep he talked about yep. it before they played
0: yeah fuck yeah.
1: he he like got everybody to be quiet for one second while he talked about how how he, he has a connection to louisville and he was very happy to be there and then it's their first time playing there in 25 years i think it's incredible is what they said yeah it's crazy so 98 i think was the last time they played there
0: Holy shit. I mean, wild? it's been a period of many firsts for Integrity. I mean, you know, we talked about back in November, they played New York City for the first Mm -hmm. time ever. Ever. Um, Yeah. As a a headliner or in anywhere. And it was as expected. Literally, I was was talking to a friend about it the other day. Probably maybe one of the only shows I've ever been to that I could classify as wild that had a barricade. Like, yeah, you told, it, you told yeah, me about that. If it didn't have a barricade, it would have been an all-timer. Yeah. But it was like, that's how good it was, is that it still ruled with a barricade, which can be a vibe killer at a lot of shows. So Yeah, um, I can... It, it was...
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's so crazy to me that that show had a barricade. Makes me so curious why.
0: Apparently, it had something to do with insurance. And yeah, I there guess. was, like, you know, I don't... Once you get to a certain size right like it's kind of like i think there's some math behind it you know and if we have any listeners who are like promoters please correct me but from talking to my friends that have done bigger shows and stuff like that right like if you're doing a fest or something really really big you tend to have like enough in ticket sales and whatever to offset whatever extra a venue insurance insurance company might pay so you can go no barricade but for a one-off show Really tough to do if, you know, you don't want to fucking charge fifty bucks a ticket. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, and I remember yeah, those tickets actually being pretty reasonably priced, especially for a New York show. Um, yeah,
1: that 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 does make sense because I remember when Knocked Loose did the Blue Weekend thing and they brought Indecision down to play. Yeah, um, it was like an argument with the venue to get no barricade. It was like a you can pay this much and like have the show here or you can pay this much and we can have the show with no barricade. Yeah. Fucking and
0: uh yeah. Insurance actuaries like treat the barricade like it is this, you know, like mythical force that would prevent any possible injury from happening. Um, which we know is not true. Um, I mean, it can you know, stop some, but... It can stop some. It can also cause yeah, some, I've seen. It can also cause some. <laughs> so it's, it's I remember not, uh,
1: yeah. White Reaper was trying to do a show at the same venue where Knockloose Loose did, The Blue Weekend, and they, they, they were told, you can have no barricade, and it can be 18 and up, or you can have barricade, and it can be all ages. Ah, that's... And they were like... I Guess we'll have it be all ages.
0: I know. That's a fucking Sophie's choice, man. Like, don't yeah. make me like that's an out. evil, that's an evil choice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, ugh, that puts them in a really tough spot. But yeah, mm-hmm. they made the right call. You want to be inclusive, even if it means yeah. a barricade. Um, and especially for a band like that. You know, there's some bands where it really affects the vibe, and then there's some where it's like we yeah they were without really it yeah
1: seeing stage dives though they ah, were really missing having kids like knock their it. pedals and shit and mm. they wanted that and they were like basically told
0: like nope <laughs> fuck yeah man yeah Fucking. A. but yeah what's been up with you than- um well we had a busy fucking weekend here both hardcore wise and non-hardcore wise um let's see man um yo i got to see indecision and biohazard at Irving Plaza. Yes, I heard about and that the, shit. The, Fuck. The big deal about that too was that it was original lineup, which mm. as recently as like a year ago, Evan Seinfeld was like, nah, I'm not doing that or whatever. Um, talk about, I mean, you've seen how he looks recently, right? Like talk about a friggin' transformation that dude has gone through. Like I wouldn't recognize him if I just like looked at his I don't face think
1: without... I've seen what he looks like now. I know I mean, he is he.
0: He's very fit. Um, I knew he was very he's fit. He's very cut, but he also now is like full shaved head and shaved face. No facial hair either. Oh, weird. Um, and he's got like a, actually like a very warm, friendly face. Like to huh. me. Um, Would you have I still, imagined that? Like it's it's funny to think like, dude, he looks somehow looks older in videos from 30 years ago yeah. than he did this weekend. Um, <laughs> so good for him, first of all. Um, yeah indecision fucking killed it like everybody sounded great king nine played too i did not get there in time to see them but i heard their reaction was great and again it was another one of those shows where i think for indecision from what i could tell most of the crowd was familiar even just kind of like the meatheads who were there just to see biohazard but i think king nine was probably new for a lot of them um and got a good reaction too so just a three-band show um, pretty quick. And then we had That's fucking show. Yeah. Had Father's Day. I got fucking donuts. That's always a, a win. And the big deal was my little man turned two on, Fuck, uh, yeah. on Juneteenth. And so we had a party with about 20 bubble guns and all his little toddler friends from the neighborhood just running around, sugared up, going nuts.
1: Probably At your house.
0: Yeah. And we have a like a back playground behind my building. Mm-hmm. Um so thankfully I did not have to have this in the house and the weather was yeah. really nice so it was all outside. Um, Fuck yeah, dude. But dude, it was fu- like everybody had a good time. Um but I'm still pretty fucking beat just from that. Um yeah, man, doing running events for children is exhausting. Um yeah, no, but, I know, don't I don't I don't have to do that. No, I mean you've booked hardcore <laughs> shows, so that's an equivalent of it. <laughs> <laughs> um i've uh, legit uh, you can count on my hands all the hardcore I mean, shows i've booked i know i did have to i mean you want to talk about other comparisons i had to break up a couple of fights um you know yeah i, I wanted to let you know want to make sure the building lets us use the venue again uh-huh. if we had if we had too many too much toddler on toddler violence they might not let me have the, next the cops party might come in yeah. the noise
1: too you gotta yeah. keep that down
0: yeah we had a strict curfew too you know so we had to be mm-hmm. done by a certain time um but you know, everybody respected the space ultimately and, you know, settled beefs and, you know, ended up having a good time. Um So it's funny. It, it, that's the sad thing is like, I have, I need more like, I have plenty of hardcore kids who are parents that I know, but none of them that like live around me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause I had like all these stupid slash hilarious observations in my head and i had like nobody i could tell them to because like all the normie very nice people but like normie parents that were there with us like would have been like wouldn't, wouldn't get anything what yeah. are you what are you talking about um but yeah man so it was a it was a it was a great fucking weekend here um good shit and uh yeah it's fucking it's summertime for real now and um it's my favorite Dude, I time i feel of year. That-
1: on two days this, re- this week, I've gone to my dad's... Well, my dad's girlfriend's, but he's moved in and mm. just chilled in the garage with him and listened to
0: music. That's and, a uh, it's been nice good, good summertime good vibe activity, man. I love that. Yeah. That rules. Uh-huh. Um, well, fucking speaking of listening to music, let's talk about Steve. I understand, Tyler, before we get into the mountain, that uh, you had some... Tidbits, insights, what have you about El Corazon from our from our last album episode you wanted to talk about?
1: Just a thing that I I discovered while trying to look up uh, videos from the mountain era. Mm -hmm. I realized that there was a music video for an El Corazon song that we didn't
0: watch or talk about. For Telephone Road. For Telephone Road. yeah, We texted about it later, but we didn't talk about it on the episode. Did you get a chance to watch it? I did.
1: Dude is so nineties. There's a <laughs> monkey in it.
0: <laughs> yes. Like There's so, a... yeah. Again, if you are listening right now, hit pause. Go on YouTube. Look up the video for Telephone Road. Um, it is silly as shit. It's so silly, and it does There's make a me monkey wonder. In it. You know what the monkey reminded me of? Another Friends. <laughs> Friends, yeah, but another great nineties music video with a monkey in it, uh Sold a Squeeze by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh Uh, yeah. Where I think they're like with like a traveling carnival or whatever. Mm -hmm. But again, it's something like the setting doesn't really have a lot to do with the song at all. It's just like it's almost like they're in the 90s there were video directors who had like a big book of like themes. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, or it's like, hey, we've got some fucking circus shit. I got monkeys. I got whatever. Pick what you want. And then you know come on over and we'll make a video. And like that's
1: yeah, what it was. Dude. I, I clicked it. I was like eating my cereal in the morning and I was like, this is <laughs> fucking bizarre. This is straight up fucking bizarre. Um, but yeah, I uh well I just I we couldn't go, we couldn't start yeah. talking about the mountain. We couldn't move on from from this without discussing the monkey. I, I, totally I couldn't agree. fucking believe it. I was like, yeah, this is 1997. Dude, great. Fuck yeah. I love it awesome i wonder how embarrassed he is about that now
0: if when we get a chance that's going to be one of the things we'd ask about him about like you know it all so many interviews i'm sure ask steve like the most basic stuff this is what i wanted you know we'd like go nardwar on him and i'd be like um you know find out what the monkey's name was and like when he passed away or stuff or maybe still monkey how long do monkeys live i don't know um i imagine 1997 a monkey probably not especially those kind of monkeys I think some great apes can live for a while oh yeah not, not a monkey like that no. um if we have any um you know zoologists Zoologist. listening yeah. please you know I'm calling all for our, all of the hardcore troubadour professional network um to message us on Instagram to talk about this and by the way another thing I want to say is like we've had um several new listeners uh a couple like folks from canada a couple of folks from australia that reached out via the instagram account and i we just want to say thanks man it's it's fucking awesome yeah thank you guys and and you know it's also just a good reminder too like every episode is somebody's first um so you know if you are feeling this and, and hearing it now like you know go back and listen to some of the earlier stuff it won't it won't be dated we've intended for it to be you know stuff that you could enjoy at any time and if you want to listen to us talk about the steve records in order that's cool but also if there's just a particular one that you want to dive in on too like you can hit it up that way as well and i think you'll still you'll still be into it so we appreciate most likely
1: the only podcast that talks about any of these records
0: (laughs) yeah from what i can tell um certainly the only one that's going to talk about this one i i think so i think so um So yeah, let's talk about The Mountain. Um, This is, like we said, this is Steve's eighth studio record. The first bluegrass album, really, that he did. And this is as a tribute to Bill Monroe. Um, And he did this in, I guess, full collaboration with the Del McCory band. And And I've
1: got some info on that.
0: And that's what I want to hear, because other than that, That's about all the background that I know about this record.
1: So there's one thing I wanted to talk about um, a little bit before that adds a little bit of context to Steve's life at this time. Um, From the book, Steve Earl, Fearless Heart, Outlaw Poet, um, that I've been getting most of the info from. Um, I realize that, don't plug that every episode but that's the book i'm going off of yeah but this one this stuff in particular pertains very directly to you and your uh activism that you did against the death penalty because Ah. steve is ramping up around this time
0: Mm.
1: a uh uh he was uh only strengthened in his conviction that if it's wrong to kill it's wrong to kill So it kind of goes in about this guy, Jonathan Wayne Nobles, who was sentenced to die by lethal injection and Steve went to watch Mm. it happen and um, is really sad Um, in the like he was able to call his mom while he was going and like basically kind of apologize and like for the way his life has turned out and now is ending. Damn. And uh his um his mom uh told him that she loved the way he'd sing silent night and he sang that as he died. Oh. And uh it like kind of vividly dis- describes like how all the um the air just dropped out of his body mm. and he just like pitched and was done um and there's something that steve said around this time so it says texas is getting harder for me or texas is getting harder and harder for me Mm -hmm. earl told andrew dasby of texas music magazine it's where i grew up and it's still home and i still miss it but a lot of it has to do with the fact that i watched the state of texas kill somebody two years ago and that definitely colors the way the way i feel about it when i get on a plane or bus to go to texas so many people have been executed that it's really created this ugly dynamic. People are starting to look twice at the death penalty, if for no other reason than it's becoming obvious to some that sometimes people are executed who are innocent. It mm-hmm. came close to happening several times that we know of in Illinois. And I know of several cases where I'm absolutely sure that innocent people were executed in Texas and elsewhere. But in Texas, if they stop killing tomorrow, that's tantamount to admitting that they're wrong for killing. There's mm-hmm. 460 people on death row in Texas now. There's a lot of blood on their hands. Once they stop killing, they have to admit that they might have been wrong for killing all the people they killed before that. So Texas has more of a twisted incentive to keep killing than anything else because it means having to atone for all the people that died before. It's going to be harder to change in Texas than any place else. If one of the reasons I fought so hard to keep the first execution, or it's one of the reasons I fought so hard to keep the first execution from happening in Tennessee. Which that's all directly from Steve. That's that's
0: our guy. That's our guy, man. And it just, it, he makes a, a, an incredible point just around the incentive that the state and all of the people who act as representatives of the state from fucking prosecutors, judges, you know, wardens, everybody else that is involved in sort of the machinations of the prison system in general, but specifically capital punishment. Um, <clears throat> because, yeah, you stop now, then you're admitting that everything that came before wasn't kosher either. Um, and since Steve wrote that, there have been so many more exonerations, um thanks yep. to the tireless work of of groups like the Innocence Project and others, um and just shows like it is that common of a thing for someone to have been sentenced to death who, not just shouldn't have been sentenced to death, but was completely innocent of the crime mm-hmm. that they had been convicted of. And just, it's all, it's a logical thing. How could you have a punishment where there's no coming back from it when you have an imperfect and biased system that with frequency um, convicts and sentences innocent people? Um, so fuck, yeah. Thanks for sharing that.
1: I I love how like how he lays it bare like that, too. Yeah, it's not and and he lays it out in the way that it is complicated. Yeah, it's not simple. No, like it is simple if you are like being honest with yourself. But if you're trying to defend it or you're trying to advocate for it, it's really hard to argue with that. And that's where like I uh I, I can't remember. I honestly I I m- meant to mention this last time we uh I can't remember actually I, m- I might have mentioned this, I can't remember if I did. Um on the Tom Petty episodes, but or on the second Tom Petty episode at tie Down, I uh I got a shirt off of like some secondhand thing or whatever. It was a Steve Earl Billy Bragg tour shirt. No shit um, for uh Tell Us the Truth tour. It didn't have a year on it. Huh. And I kept meaning to look up what year this, uh, this tour happened. Um, but, uh, there are a few other people that I didn't really recognize, but I played in it when we, uh, when we played Tied down. Um, and like one of the things like I, uh, I like quoted earth crisis before we played cause I just. That was on my mind, like the idea that like we just get lied to all the time yeah. about it was like a, a tour for like media transparency and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. like what the point of the tour was. And I uh, you know, you turn me on to Billy Bragg. I've turned my dad on to Billy Bragg now. Yeah, um, fuck yeah. But uh I don't know, like I just I think Steve Earl is one of the reasons why he's a hero to me is because he will point at the thing that's wrong and say that's wrong. Yeah. And doesn't care if someone's going to get angry or flustered or frustrated with him about
0: it. And I think that's, I don't know, it's cool. Dude, that's fucking rules. Um, and I'm so glad you picked up that shirt. Um, it's a sick shirt. <laughs> dude, that sounds sick. So I I vaguely remembered this happening. It was 2003 all of 2003 Sick. and sure, it's 20 uh, years old. Great. Yeah. <laughs> and along with, uh, Steve Earl and Billy Bragg, um, Tom Morello as the night yes, Tom Morello. Act. Yes. is so like solo act. Um, mm-hmm. and on a few dates, Mike Mills from REM as well. Um, but I think this was that time. I mean, we've talked a lot about this period 20 years ago and it being for so many reasons for me, when my like affinity for Steve Earl really began to reach its apex because so much was happening at once the Iraq war was launching <clears throat> i was in college i was you know routinely i never shut my mouth and i lived in mississippi so i was being routinely called a fucking terrorist and like threatened with violence you know for you know daring to you know or or accused of being on the side of the fucking taliban you know what i mean for um, for criticizing the war. And, um, you know, it was like, there's been so much, just even in 20 years, like historical revision on that time, like, in people trying to present it as, as, as those, those post nine 11 years, as if they were like some time of unity, they were not that at all. It was a time though, when the corporate media was unified, including like the quote, like liberal media, mm-hmm. like in big quotation marks where, Totally, 100% in line, rank and file behind. Yes, this war is justified. Yes, this is good. Um, And you know, even a lot of those the... people
1: try to pretend like they weren't
0: yeah. behind it. Now, and, you now know, that's the thing. They try none... to
1: say they didn't write these articles, but
0: they 100%. <laughs> and none—that's the thing. None of them suffered any fucking consequence. Mm-mm. Like, they also know, have jobs, personally or professionally. Right? They still get—they still get paid millions of dollars to fucking just pontificate on bullshit for a living. Right. Um, but yeah I'm looking at the day, this this tour came to Royal Oak Michigan um which I know is right outside of Detroit I just I like to think that somebody bought that shirt there and that there. is the very yeah. the very shirt that you have now <laughs> um yeah I guess it came to Nashville which I didn't realize but it didn't come to Jackson or New Orleans which is where I was at the time but fuck it that is like a good blast from the past and you know where I found this info um speaking of 2003 punknews.org of course fuck yeah you um, did which is, you know, your your if you need to know anything about, you know, fat mike and the not my president years, <laughs> George W there's, Bush, there's your time yeah, capsule. Everything on punk news is still active and on. There's like no deep dive necessary. So, thank you for your service punknews.org.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Fuck um yeah. but yeah, but uh, moving into um moving into the mountain and uh, Dell McCurry, yeah. So I've got a first paths crossing of Dell and Steve in 1992, um, when someone suggested that Dell record an early Earl tune, "If You Need a Fool," which we, uh huh, listened to on the early tracks, right, record, um, and <laughs> Dell agreed to cut it, but thought the song was too short, huh. so. Steve phoned in another verse for Dell to record and um, Steve told him later that it was a really down time for him. Dell says in the liner notes to High Lonesome and Blue um, a rounder anthology of his work for the label. He was in bad shape in his liner notes for the Macquarie Band's 1996 Cold Hard Facts album. Steve wrote that the verse he supplied turned out to be the only four lines he would write for the next three and a half years. So we know when he phoned this
0: verse. <laughs> yeah, man. Damn.
1: Yeah. But I think I, I like that this, that that's one of my favorite little bits of info that I've learned for this record in particular mm-hmm. is that this might've been one of those moments where someone reached out to Steve and reminded him he was alive.
0: Yes. Fuck. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there's another, we had talked about the first couple of records after, you know steve got out of jail and got sober as being kind of like a you know it's a comeback it's a return almost like doing this record with Dell and his band has to also represent like another element of closure like hey the last time i quote collaborated with you um i was in this shape and now yep. i'm healthy i'm touring i'm writing great songs let's do a fucking album together right um i love that
1: yeah and which, well, and that's the thing is it, when when they recorded I Still Carry It Around for El Corazon, um, Ronnie McCory thought it would be like another year or so before they got back in for, and it was like later that fall.
0: Yeah. Dude, Steve was st-
1: like, all right, I'm ready to go.
0: When Steve's working, he's working, as we've seen. And,
1: right? and he worked for this one, man. He would show up on Tuesday nights at the station and where um, Ronnie kind of held like like a what the fuck is the word I'm trying to think of? Um held court. Like what he did like weekly. Yeah, they would shit do like there, a weekly, yeah. like, like jam sort of sesh thing. Mm-hmm. And Steve would show up and he would play and he would learn. And Ronnie says in here that he took everything. He's a sponge. Anything you say, he's gonna soak it up. And um Ronnie says, I had nothing to do with any of his songwriting. He already had in mind what he was gonna do. It's funny. He recorded the record in the sequence he wanted, which I had never done before. I thought that was really interesting. Ah. That was the way he wanted to do it. So he already had in mind what he wanted to do. He just needed needed us to help him get it across.
0: That's incredible. And then especially Mm -hmm. when you consider like Steve's background as a musician and the fact that we learned, he taught himself mandolin, right? So like, I'm I'm thinking both him literally like Mm -hmm. learning just being around these dudes like learning how to play bluegrass and then writing songs like right there. Right. So, cause I was curious, like, you know, obviously the, 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 the record is Steve Earle and the Del McCrory band, but Steve is credited as the primary songwriter for every song. And that's, that's why, right. Like it was all, they were truly like his band. He was, that it was his vision and his songwriting leading the way. Um, that's incredible. And it just says so much, too, just about like, man, when he's healthy, he's a fucking just like genius, like the way he works, the way that he absorbs information, the way that his just how 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 much he can produce in such a limited period of time too, you know? Um, yeah, no. And incredible. that
1: honestly segues right into this interview in the book with Ronnie McCoury. Um, How did Steve fit in the bluegrass world? How do you assess him as a bluegrass player? And um, Ronnie says, I think he tried really hard to do what we do and to dress the part and all that. At the beginning, he went out and got all these suits. And of course, he buys the finest. (laughs) He said, you know, when I started this gig, I didn't even use hairspray. I just stood behind Dell waiting for the fallout. Now I'm up to a bottle a week. (laughs) But musically, he really tried. You know, he's coming from a whole different background, but he tried and he really wanted to do it. And I think he really enjoyed it. That's awesome. Yeah, dude the, dude, the 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 stuff Ronnie
0: McQuarrie says in this book is so cool. He seems so cool. That is cool. And, and just it's funny to think, too, he wasn't just showing up to play. He started like dressing like them. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, my God, that's so funny. And just not, dude, not only did they make, they make a good album, it, it got nominated for a best bluegrass Grammy and only lost because who else put out a bluegrass record that year? Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder so um which fucking even ricky e- right even as a non-bluegrass fan i know who ricky skaggs yep. is um so like that's pretty fucking incredible like just being like yeah i want to give this a try and then you know my yeah. my attempt was grammy nominated yeah right fuck a so. fucking
1: asshole um well <laughs> speaking of speaking of him just being a fucking asshole too um i'm sure do you know about the del McCurry? Tour that Steve Did to support this record
0: No tell us about it
1: so they go over To Europe they do Europe Um Ronnie in here writes that Like he they had Never been taken care of The way oh. they were taken care of On this tour mm. they had like Runners they had like real Venues that they were playing like it was A real like Production to do this and If you've watched any videos Of this era too, it's just them up there with a mic playing. Yeah. Just all together, just hanging out on stage. So all of this production to just have like such a minimalist right performance of playing just straight bluegrass music. Um, and you know, mixing in some of Steve's songs here and there, which I would have killed to see how they did some of Steve's regular set. Yeah. Like that. Because they played like a farm aid as yeah. this outfit
0: so um, shit shit that normally he would have either been doing solo or would have had the fucking dukes playing yes they did yeah wow yes. yeah which i bet is, that was cool
1: i bet it was so cool yeah. um which i'm gonna see him play on this alone tour next month Sick. and i'm interested to see what he does by himself yeah um i've been tracking well, a few
0: I, of the set lists in, in europe right now and it's it's interesting so i, th- I think it'll be cool i'm excited yeah
1: um the tour disintegrates when it gets to the States, though. What happened? The reason? Steve cussed too much. <laughs> I knew this, like, this is like one of the things I knew from like like friends, like my buddy Paul told me. Like when he showed when he showed me this this record and these songs, mm-hmm. he told me like, cause he would see Donald McCurry because he would go to this thing in uh, Owensboro that happens every year called Romp. Uh-huh. which Steve would play pretty regularly, but Del McCoury band would play pretty regularly too. Um, it's like a bluegrass festival thing. Um, yeah. but it's like a, you know, lay out a blanket, bring the kids like, right. Kind of music festival, but a bunch of like barefoot hippies go too,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and, uh, which I would halfway consider Paul to be, um, he's kind of a yuppie, a, 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 a gen, a, a millennial yuppie at this point. But, um, mm-hmm but he knows he knows um respect but uh but yeah he told me that like they basically they did this tour and it had to like del mccurry hated it because steve would cuss
0: steve cussed too much holy on shit, stage man. he would he would
1: cuss on stage and he was like mm, this is it's he like he's dressing the parties he's he's playing the songs right but yeah uh, man the, the blue, cussing, blue the cussing grass boys don't much.
0: cuss man yeah you don't don't bring that street shit in here steve or street, you know, nonsense, I guess they would say. Um, but yeah, Ronnie
1: says apparently like Steve's foul language uh, bothered Del so much that um, his dad would get letters from people who would bring their families and kids to see the Del McCurry band. And then Steve would get up there and just say fucking and shit. and stuff.
0: <laughs> and like, <laughs> Dude, it's like you can take the boy out of East Nashville, but you cannot take the East Nashville out of the boy. I, I think that is so ridiculous but uh, like hilarious at the same time right Mm -hmm. but but i'm just saying like this wasn't like man it was a i'm even thinking about little parallels in like our world because like this was you know late 90s early 2000s my first few years in hardcore and especially at the time and especially in the south um you know christian music was ubiquitous playing shows at churches stuff like that and they Mm -hmm. would have non-christian bands play but you had to be sure like no cussing no anything like that yeah and like it's making me i would have never thought you know that there was like a parallel in the bluegrass world but i guess considering like because i don't know in my mind i'm thinking about like fucking outlaws and moonshine but like Mm -hmm. actually like the fan base it's a very like family oriented kind of like conservative crowd right yeah that's amazing um wow
1: apparently the beef is squashed. They well, shook that's hands. Good. Everything's cool now. But in 1999, no, <laughs> McCreary <Mm-mm. It's laughs> packed his guitar and went home.
0: It's awesome to think Steve earl was getting kicked off of a or broken up on a tour for cussing, the same time as you know a band I was seeing was getting in trouble for playing the like youth center at a church and accidentally letting an f bomb slip off on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're not so different. Uh, that's awesome. They're just like us.
1: I know you're just like us. <laughs> we're, music, we're, they're just like us.
0: We're held captive by the fucking language police everywhere we go. Um, dude, that is a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'm glad the beef has been squashed. Although I bet mm-hmm. still to this day, Steve watches his language when he's around Dell. Um, I can imagine he probably does.
1: I imagine that was because he had to scramble, like put together like a a new band yeah he's to, to shows are tour
0: tickets are sold like you know you're not gonna throw all that away um fuck, that's hilarious yeah it's fucking awesome but well, let's, before yeah. we
1: get into the record i've got the forward yeah and this one is silver ink on a white paper so <laughs> bear with <me>. interesting choice <laughs> in this in this reading so this is steve on 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 the mountain I wish I were as sure about anything as Bill Monroe was about everything. Of course, Mr. Bill came by his self-assurance, by his self-assurance, honestly. He alone, as far as I know, could claim to have single-handedly invented an American art form. We are a democratic society. Don't you know where musical idioms are normally arrived at by committee. The great Bob Willis merely defined Western swing at the helm of the Texas playboys after serving apprenticeships with Milton Brown's brownies and the light, Crest Doughboys, the race to invent rock and roll ended in a dead heat between two outfits. One working in Memphis, Elvis Presley, Scotty Moore, and Bill Black, the other in Chicago, Chuck Berry, Willie Dixon, Johnny Johnson, Jasper Thomas, and Jerome Green. Not that the father of the bluegrass music didn't have influences. There was of course his uncle, Pen VanDiver, and other local musicians he grew up listening to in Kentucky, as well as he- people he heard on records i find it hard to believe that mr bill never heard the late great blues mandolin player from mississippi yank rochelle yo so many names dropped don't know any of these people um, he's been
0: doing his homework man
1: in any case <laughs> that's what he wrote <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i felt good pausing real quick because i'm that's this is how i feel now <laughs> right in any case when Mister Bill, or when Bill Monroe, uh, switched from guitar to mandolin, he decided that he was going to play his newly adopted instrument like no one else had ever played it before, and he did. This is my interpretation, to the best of my ability and with all of my heart, as well as the assistance of the best bluegrass band working today, of the music that Bill Monroe invented. Some of it, I think, would have approved. He would have approved of. Um, <laughs> and then he has in quotes, "Why, wow, that's a fine number." Some of it probably has him turning over in his grave. That there ain't no part of nothing. (laughs) Of course, that's all speculation. I do know this. Mr. Bill was very kind to me whenever we met during what turned out to be the last few years of his life. In December of 1995, he honored me by walking out uninvited onto the stage of the Tennessee Performing Arts Center 20 minutes into my show and remaining to sing five or six songs with Peter Rowan, Roy Husky Jr., Norman Blake, and myself. It was the biggest thrill of my life. When I look back now, I believe this record was really born that night. Del, Ronnie, Rob, Mike, and Jason have been great friends and wonderful teachers. So have the other members of the Sidemen, Mike and Rob's other band. Harry Eldridge, Gene Wooten, Mike Compton, and Jimmy Campbell. Also, I need to thank the folks at the station inn who I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. JT Gray, Susan, Alice, Lynn, Pat. For their encouragement and support and allowing me to attend Bluegrass Boot Camp on Tuesday nights over the last year or so. This is your record, too. None of this would have been possible without the support of Jean, M- 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 Jean McCory, the proudest wife and mother in attendance of any of the last four or five International Bluegrass Music award shows. She has always gone out of her way to make me feel welcome at the boys' shows and in her home. Last but not least, I'm forever grateful to the Bluegrass Buddha, Peter Rowan, who is and will always be my original connection to this music? My primary motive in writing these songs was both selfish and ambitious. Immortality. I wanted to write just one song that would be that would be performed, at least, that would be performed by at least one band at every bluegrass festival in the world. Long after I've followed Mister Bill out of this world. Well, we'll see. See you all, September ninety
0: eight. That's incredible, and so I just good. it's so good and just the. Man, the level of self-awareness that he shows just around like... Appreciation. In appreciation, right, for who came before him. Here's what I'm trying to do. I, I love the parts too about like some of this Bill Monroe would probably approve of in the way that he did. <laughs> and some of it might have him rolling over in his grave. But like I'm... This is what I'm doing, right? Um, and I think it's just so like... in it makes for me and we'll get into this as we talk about it even for the tracks that i don't like feel 100% i'm still very impressed with you know what steve was able to do not coming from this traditional bluegrass background and actually learning it super quickly all things considered yeah um and you know like you could have fooled me i would have thought like oh yeah he had never put out a bluegrass record but you know he's been fucking fucking around and playing with these dudes for 20 years i would have believed you because or there's he...
1: co-writing on this record.
0: Yeah. That yeah. would have
1: even been believable.
0: Yeah, yeah. But the fact that it was like he was coming to them with the songs and being like, here's what I need you to play. You know, yeah. like, um, that's incredible. So, man, thanks for sharing that, Tyler. I think that's a really good sort of framing for us to kind of dig in and go track by track like always. Uh mm-hmm. So sh- should we jump in? Yeah, let's jump in. All right. Track one is Texas Eagle about Long time ago when there was meaningful rail transportation in this country. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this song is incredible because it really was right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right absolutely. Could have
1: ever. It was right at the time and it had no idea how right it was going to be. And I'm sure this is going to throw you for a loop. If, you've, if you had a guess, this is my favorite song on this record.
0: I I picked one this time. I remember to, but this is not. I, I know
1: which one you probably picked, which one you absolutely picked for me. And I knew it was going to throw you for a loop. This is the first song on this record I heard. Okay. This is the first song Paul showed me from this record. Yeah. And my grandpa was a railway man.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. You got to. You got to respect that, man. What a beautiful. He was connection. an engineer.
1: He was a union man. He was. He's my hero. He was very flawed in a lot of ways. Um, But one of the gentlest, nicest people I've ever met in my life. I'm sad every day that he's gone. He passed during COVID. I didn't Mm. get to see him. Mm. I talked to him the day before he died. He said the nicest things to me. And then the next day he passed. I'm so sorry. And at his service that we had, almost two years after he died, I held it together until I saw a picture of him on the picket line and I balled my head.
0: <laughs> Brother, he lives on through you. Absolutely. I
1: that's I try. That's what yeah. part of the reason why I am interested in so many of the things I'm interested in is because of him and just hoping that I can be somebody he would be proud of. And This is gives away a little bit of what our next episode is going to be. But we're going to talk to my friend Scott Mm -hmm. about his uh, punk uh, in connection to uh, country music. But Scott ran into him in a Best Buy once while wearing one of my band's hoodies. Yeah. And my grandpa just told him how cool it was for him to see like his grandson's band shirt and this was like before inclination this is when i was doing another mistake yeah he just he used to look up things about my bands
0: oh man on the computer
1: because he wanted to know what i was doing
0: and yeah what a sweet man what a cool dude a man that's tyler i'm so sorry that he passed but man what a what an incredible person thank you for sharing that um yeah man
1: like yeah he was he was the shit but texas eagle dude what a song
0: what a i mean and this is the thing i you know from a musical perspective as it came in and this is you know on a couple of listens i'm like yeah you know i'm gonna I, I i was joking with with tyler via text and being like i might be a hater on some of these tracks but it's me being comfortable being like i'm not a bluegrass guy you know and That's i I think and i think this record has kind of like confirmed some of that for me, but I'm recognizing if you were going to like a
1: bluegrass like, record. This would probably be
0: the one you'd like, right? Because also it's like probably the parts that would make Bill Monroe roll over in his grave are the parts that I like the most, frankly, mm-hmm. right. Where there's just a little bit of like, yeah, it's bluegrass, but it's got blues. It's got country. It's got rock mixed in mm-hmm. with it. Right. Um, because that's what Steve was bringing. I, to
1: I think this song rocks.
0: It does. I think this song rocks. It it's a great album opener. I'll give you that. Um, and I, it's not like one of my favorites, but it also is probably, it's the first two tracks, frankly, like the first three that, you know, we'll talk about in detail. I think as a listener gave me a sense that it was like, this was all going to be like foot stomper bluegrass all the way through, which it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it, it, it deviates from that quite a bit later on but it it, i was thinking about this when you mentioned earlier that like steve already knew what order he wanted Mm -hmm. to put the songs in on the record because he made an intentional choice to like come out with three you know like rockers but like more like these are like grass rockers foot stomp bluegrass songs you know what i mean um and before he started mixing it up a little more
1: and i know i know you're you're bothered by banjo is, is what you're zeroing in on <laughs> um i think that one thing that opened me up to banjo a lot was when i was a young punk and folk punk was the thing that i was rust into because it was put in front of me
0: all the time but i'm like you're the only person that likes folk punk tyler i love folk punk <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> um
1: but Um, Defiance Ohio was a band I would see all the time And I loved the banjo in Defiance Ohio So I have like a huge affinity for that I think just from a nostalgia point To the point where when I hear stuff like this Doesn't even faze me I'm just fucking in But so when I hear Texas Eagle I don't hear banjo I hear this story
0: Uh And I think
1: this story is so well put together
0: I love the story I mean that's what keeps me right It's like because it's a I mean that's what steve does too is like you could take a a you could take a the lyrics at the surface level and be about like oh it's about a train he used to ride but it actually mm-hmm. becomes like a commentary about family about like loneliness and about crumbling american infrastructure like all yep. all in in one song and like you know not, it, not just crumbling abandoned, abandoned. it made yes. me think though that when um randomly I'm like a couple of weeks ago watching a ball game that's happening in Cincinnati and they show an external shot of like Cincinnati Union Station and make the point that at its heyday, there were 150 trains a day coming through there. You know how many passenger trains come through there now for a week? In a week, when 50, 60 years ago, there were, I mean, probably longer than that now, but there were 150 a day connecting you all over the Midwest, West, Northeast, everywhere. And so, yeah, abandoned and intentionally abandoned because of lobbying by the auto industry. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and tragedy, dude. And it's what a tragedy. And also just not realizing that, like, bro, in this country, spread out the way it is rail transit and car culture can exist side by side you did not have to eliminate people will still yeah. want to drive their fucking car of course yeah nobody they was would gonna just take that like away. to be
1: able to ride their train to the next city
0: <laughs> absolutely um and like that's something i like as a person who utilizes like literally every form of transportation possible and is very lucky to live in a place where i can do that i take the train i drive i walk i take the bus i ride a bike sometimes not as much anymore but like you know? I would
1: ride a bike or walk to work if I only had to work three or four days a week. Mm-hmm. The fact that I have to work six days a week yeah. means I have to drive because I cannot yeah. sacrifice that much of my life
0: that's right to my job. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um so anyway, but yeah, so like in a in a bluegrass song, Steve's able to like provide commentary on all of those things. And you know what like to this oh, this ahead.
1: song is why drive by truckers call him the professor.
0: Dude, 100%. I love that. I'm glad though you brought up like Defiance Ohio and like the, you know, good nostalgia that comes with banjos because I literally was having, we've talked about before, like, you know, some like mutual bands and even like friends that we knew, right? Like I was friends with the kids in One Reason when they used Mm -hmm. to live in Mississippi before they moved up to Bloomington, Indiana. Um, So, like, you know, there was, there was always overlap there. And it was kind of me as a young, like kind of crusty leaning kid at the time. Um, I have these memories of like, you know, having to sit through another, like this bike is a pipe bomb set. Um, which I feel like I saw the last the the last show my first band ever played was with this I was about to say and that's Frank no disrespect to the wonderful individuals in that band but like unlistenable I saw. I was about to say I saw you 40 times and I never tried to once um yep like how how were you up here that often (laughs) like so respect for being on the road like that um but you know just like there's a there's somebody with a with very unfortunate facial hair and a and a and a well-cultivated bad smell not a lot playing of bandanas and a lot of bandanas and they are not playing this instrument very well. Um and so I don't know, but it, it was just a little bit of a revelation to me. I mean, we've been through this before. There's no accounting for taste, it doesn't have to make sense, but like I fucking love mandolin and banjo. If the banjo's up front, it tends to annoy me. I don't know. And so that's why I would say like these first three tracks, I found things that I appreciate about all of them. But like my favorite stuff comes later in the record.
1: All right. Well, let's talk yours forever blue and get it out of the way so that we can get to what you like.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but I want to hear what you said. You know what I wrote? I hate banjos. Great fucking mandolin solo. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd say, awesome. I'd say that because Texas Eagle gave me a lot to work with lyrically. Yeah, um, well, and this I think is, yeah,
1: I think this song could be what, what I wrote is this song could be so sappy, but the fiddle and the banjo make this song hype.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think it's a lively song for a song about being forever blue.
0: That's true. I'll give you that. Um, I,
1: I, I I will give this away right now. This is a top five Steve Roll record for me.
0: That's bonkers, man. But you know what? This is ahead of the hard way. (laughs) That to me, Tyler, is fucking insane. This is number four. I don't lose a single
1: song on this record.
0: I'm glad though. It is pretty fucking awesome. Of all the Steve Earle dorks that are out in the world today um, and all the things that many of us would agree on likely, right? We Mm -hmm. found like us two That even though we have like similar, you know, backgrounds, I mean, fucking similar current lives, right. In terms of just being hardcore kids who love country and Americana music, that we have very divergent tastes when it comes to Steve's catalog. And, um, I think that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, man, this isn't anywhere near my top five for sure.
1: Yeah. This is Um, number four for me. Wow,
0: dude. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Well, I'm going to. I make sure that as we're talking about this, I let you talk. Cause my intention here is not to shit on this record. It is just to say that like, I have a lot of appreciation for what Steve was doing here. And a lot of it's Bluegrass not for, isn't for you. And a lot of it's not for me, but you know what, man, I, I, maybe I'd feel different if I had, I didn't grow up in Kentucky. You know what I mean? I didn't grow up around this. Yeah. Kind of I, honestly, like, maybe that's yeah. it too.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Like the fact like, that it does talk so much. About yeah. like my my region that I yeah. do um, possibly have an affinity for it, and I definitely do with other parts of this record, yeah, undoubtedly. Um, but Carrie Brown, Carrie Brown, this is the one song I used to be able to lose on this song. I yeah. used to find this song
0: incredibly grating. I said, if it wasn't for the fact that the Del McCoury band was playing this song, this is the song that feels like cosplay to me, because. Mm-hmm. When I, like, when I'm on the weekends, like, taking Karen to the playground at Fort Greene Park, I have this stereotype in my head that is, I mean, it's it's often there of, like, there's going to be three white people um, who live in an apartment that costs at least $4,500 a month but are dressed like hobos. Um, One of them is going to have a banjo. And they're going to be busking and they're going to be playing a song like this. Not nearly mm-hmm. as well as yeah. even the Del McCoury band was, but it's going to be a song like this where they're like harmonizing somebody's name. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and so, yeah, it's like, hey, you did it. But the, the, these aren't the songs that speak to me. Um, so, yeah. But you said it used to grate on you. So do you you like it more now?
1: I like it a lot now. I absolutely love it. I, I I I thought even going into this, um, this exercise because that song used to grate on me real hard. I was like, well, I'm about to listen to this record like <laughs> like twelve times. Yeah, maybe more in the next like week and a half. So like, I wonder if I'm gonna go back around to hating Carrie Brown. And uh, I'm still into it. I'm still in. I think it's I think it's a cute song
0: about murder. It, that i'll agree with and there there is something special that bluegrass style music does about like making murder sound kind of like cute and fun um gillian welch does that in, in some of her songs and i think she and she's also not a bluegrass person although she is on this record she's part of the she does a verse on um pilgrim at the end of the album oh really um, that's awesome yeah her vo- her voice was I recognized it immediately and then was very validated when I looked it up and saw that she did backing vocals on it. But anyway, um that that lyrical style reminds me of that. We would we used to call it Southern Goth, um, which is that's what Half Figure Gunroom aspired to be. Um Southern and, Goth. Yeah, never quite got there, but that was kind of what we were going for. I want to talk about the next track though, I'm still in love with you, because this is the first song on the record that I really like. Is it because it um, sounds like Amy Lou Harris? <laughs> Probably. Um, I was like, so it's, it feels it's more, it's slower. It's a classic country song. Um, And I I think it's just a genuinely, this, instead of being like a bluegrass song with country elements, this is a country song with bluegrass elements and um, Iris Dement, who does the, you know, who sings with Steve on this song. I love Mm -hmm. her voice. So yeah. I just, I, th- this is just a good old, like classic country, like crooner to me, but it was like the first track that I was like, Oh, here we go. Um, but it also like this fourth track was the first time I was like, Oh, we really changed pace here. Cause it's significantly slower than the first three.
1: Yeah. The fiddle on this song really makes me think about that Emily Harris record that we talked about with yep. Tom. Yep. And, uh, there is a thing on here. Um, so uh, from the vaunted legacy of old flames, reuniting the yearning. I'm still in love with you find Steve duetting with the mournful Iris Dement in a wrenching tearjerker as Mendelin and fiddle pour on, on the sorrow. That's a great cut. Ronnie says after it was finished, uh, Steve said, I'm in love again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: dude, and then it, it, it says, it says ominous words to be sure. <laughs> ominous words to be dude. He is so fucking funny. We also didn't mention though the, the little bit of dialogue they left in at the beginning of the record on Texas Eagle of Yeah, where he the starts M-S-S- doing K E Y. Yeah, and he's yeah. like you want to be in the band, you have to put your hat on. Put your hat on. It's
1: great. <laughs> it's great. It makes me chuckle love every time. It, and I just I love it. I love it so much.
0: Yeah. It's just Fucking top five for me, dude. I love this dude. record. It's that is those those are some fantastic moments. Mm-hmm. Um the next track is Graveyard Shift. I really like this one too, but again, it's like I would recognize this feels less like a bluegrass song than a blues song with bluegrass elements in it to me. So it's like I, I tend to like my bluegrass when it's cut with something else. This is kind <laughs> of the that realization I'm having, but I, I dug this song as well.
1: Well, what I wrote was I, I think the trot in this song makes it rock really hard. Yeah. And I wrote, this is what I'd imagine a Steve Earl bluegrass track would be.
0: Mm, I really appreciate that. This is also one. I wrote this about a couple of songs. Graveyard Shift is one of them where I thought. I like this version. I'd love to hear like the Dukes rock this one, too. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and that's like, the thing. Is, I think like in my head,
1: like you said, like imagine a Steve Earl bluegrass song. I close my eyes and Graveyard Shift more or less be like what I came up with.
0: Yeah yeah that makes like, sense
1: like raucous like uh degeneracy mm-hmm. um yeah and i you also can, wrote
0: so much swag so much swag and it's where you could see like this is where he would the like conservative families that came to the bluegrass jam this is where steve would start to lose them
1: <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean oh, yeah. yeah for
0: yeah, absolutely <laughs> now they'd be I'm like, l-
1: fucking, like I'm yeah. fucking all the dudes wives while they're at I work. Know.
0: They'd be like looking at each other and like wondering if their kids understand the lyrics, you know, like while their kids Mm -hmm. are just like, you know, dancing, eating cotton candy or whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. So um, it's funny. Del's like playing the song, but, you know, has a very serious look on his face um, in the background. But dude, we got to talk about Harlan, man.
1: You thought this was going to be my favorite song, didn't you?
0: You know, I did.
1: Yeah, I wrote so I, I wrote I I really don't know what to say about this song that you wouldn't
0: just surmise from my character and interests. I the, I was just about <laughs> to say, like, this is like w- was this song written for you? Like, you know, I would My know. uh
1: my grandpa is from not East Eastern Kentucky, but they're from Irvine, Kentucky, mm-hmm. which is I think pretty close to where Tyler Childers is from. Okay. Um, but uh but yeah, I mean they're they're from out there. Mm-hmm. Like I can remember going to my granny's when I was a kid, because both my great grandmothers were alive well into my childhood. Um, somehow these two bitches lived fucking lived forever, <laughs> and still were fucking sharp as a fucking tack. My grandma's still sharp as a tack too. So impressive. I'm, uh, I honestly think sometimes I think about her dying and become afraid and then I go, Well, I've probably got like fucking like 10, 12 years left before oh, I have yeah. to worry about that. Yeah. Um but uh but yeah, dude. Um but yeah, Harlan's not too too far from Irvin. It's closer than I am. Mm-hmm. Um it's closer to Harlan than it is to here. Um but yeah, I mean, uh I uh this is a working class
0: anthem, dude it's a working cl- like dude it's a it's a union song it's a fucking like i mean i wrote i wrote my union tattoos
1: buzz when i hear this song
0: dude I yeah it's like the the fucking <laughs> what spidey sense like tingles right dude i love it and it's you're making me think too. Mentioning, i mean talking about harlan 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 county just like and what i know as an outsider of like in popular culture when i hear that you know what I know about when I'm thinking about minors and I'm thinking about labor and I'm mm-hmm. thinking about the violent suppression of workers. Um, it is reminding me of um, I'm like, I just pulled up a map cause I was like the, the time that I went on a work trip to Appalachia, like where are the places that I went? And I spent some time in schools in Corbin and Hazard, mm-hmm. Kentucky. Um, and just remember though, feeling like what I really wanted to do was like, tour around and think about everything through a organized labor lens. Um, but what I was doing, which was still cool work. And I really appreciated my job at that time was like helping some schools down there um, who were seeing an, you know, influx of families from Latin America for the first time ever mm-hmm. um, moving into some of these communities and, you know, a mixture of like, you know, the folks that wanted to help really wanted to help, but often like didn't have the resources or knowledge to be able to like help. They've never had to organize like a, a classroom for English as a new language, you know what I mean? And things like that. So, um, that said, loved this song and I think theme wise and lyrically this leading into the mountain, um, Oh dude, I mean, is just completely planned, um, completely planned. And I mean, the, But yo, th- I do oh, Before ahead. we move into the mountain though
1: I want to talk about some of these lyrics
0: Oh uh, yeah, let's talk about them
1: I want to talk about some of these lyrics And I also wrote, one of the things I wrote for this is uh, This is a great song to do physical labor to As a person who does that six days a week <laughs>
0: Fuck yeah I, uh,
1: I, Anytime I'm listening to this record And this song comes on, I'm like Oh, I'm about to enjoy my job for a minute <laughs> I mean, because you know you got two good hands, man. I got two good hands, man. Um, but yeah, man, just the... Uh, the. Um, I wake up in the morning, I find I'm looking at the end of another long week and I can draw my pay because I'm a Harlan man. Never catch me whining because I ain't that kind. I'm a union man just like my daddy and all my kin. I took a union stand no matter what the company say. I got me two good hands and just as long as I'm able, I won't give in. The a Harlan man, a cold minded mother, till the day I'm dead.
0: Unreal. And notice he left a m- mother by itself. He didn't say the next part of that word. Because someone would have been upset with him. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, because you talk about there's a Harlan man into the mountain. They don't contrast, but it does show those like sides of like in the same day in the life of a worker both feeling that immense pride and the despair <laughs> you know what i mean like you can you can be experiencing both of those simultaneously well um, yeah i mean i the, i fucking i should have just read all the fucking lyrics
1: to it but the oh my god i'm just having a time but the fucking the idea the the first the first lyrics i'm a harlem man went down the mine when i was barely grown it was easy then because i didn't know what i know now Mm -hmm. and what he says in the song is we didn't know about the black lung Uh, right yeah
0: (laughs) it's like this is a good job man it's hard but like this is a good job and then we didn't
1: know we were killing ourselves right
0: exactly um and then with that knowledge like i I don't know i you know i i want to talk about the mountain just because it like this was one of the like Stop Me in My Tracks songs on this record. It's haunting, Um, dude. And I I figured it would be, like, if nothing else, this is the song, you know, using something like Spotify streams as one indicator. A hell of a lot more people listen to this one than a lot of the other tracks on the album. Um, You know, maybe because it's the title track or this is the one that a lot of folks have listened to. But um, it is deeply haunting. um, And... You know, it's making me think musically, stuff in the bluegrass vein, this slower stuff does tend to be what I prefer, but the lyrics, uh, the the line towards the end gave me chills. There's a hole in this mountain and it's dark and deep and God only knows all the secrets it keeps. There's a chill in the air only miners can feel. There's ghosts in the tunnels that the company sealed. Um, Like, fu- that was like a, I had to immediately re-listen to the song again after the first yeah. time that i heard it um because it's so damn good it's a skip back song for sure
1: yeah yeah um there's a there's a little lore on this song of how it was written um on here about steve and his time at the station Inn, mm-hmm. learning um ronnie writes i told him some things he may not have got together he listened to some but of course i'm born and bred he kind of knew the foundation of bluegrass just love and all that heartache i said um of course there's the gospel element and then there's this and that but i had mentioned something about a ghost i said there's even ghost songs the next time he came to the station and steve performed a slow haunting ballad about the memories that haunt an old miner after the coal company seals the hole in the mountain where he had worked he got done and he said there's your ghost story
0: son shit it was the mountain (laughs) of course it was well i mean if so if you haven't figured it out this is my favorite song on the record this is oh i had another one picked out i had a close number two but this one out i
1: think i I, we haven't gotten to the close number two yet we have not no we have not you know i know what it is i think um but uh dude this is amazing um i wrote this song's another song on this record with such rich text um I think so much on this record stands lyrically on its own away from the music completely.
0: I totally agree with that. Yeah,
1: Like of all of the Steve Earle records that we've talked about, I think this one can be read. Yeah. Over listened to and you still get something out of it.
0: I hadn't thought about it that way, but I totally agree. Like it
1: really is like poetic storytelling. Yeah, um, this
0: could be a this could be in a book of poetry.
1: But yeah, like even away from the music, this like the lyrics can stand and then add in the fact that it's a living recording and all the instrumentation is done at a heightened level, Mm -hmm. even if there are mistakes in the playing. It's just a beautiful work of art. And there is all of these things were done, all of them in the room together.
0: Yep. All of them in the room
1: together. If they fucked up, they had to decide if they needed to retake or if it was enough to just say whatever yeah and there's people ronnie says in in the book um people he showed the record to who said like this is amazing warts and all like meaning like people who knew bluegrass could hear and be like oh that was fuck up oh that that was not that was a little bad that was a little off but everything about it just the way it is i think that's one of the reasons why i like it so
0: much is because it sounds so alive it's it's punk it's punk you know what i mean it's 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 straight up (laughs) we've only got enough money to pay for four hours in the studio. So we're just going to do it live and it is going to be what it is. Right. Yeah. Intentionally. But intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I just think it's so cool. And they said also the way they recorded it was Steve facing all of them. Huh. Interesting. So they all played to Steve and Steve played to them. And that's how they recorded the whole thing.
0: That rules. That's, that's like very, that's very intimate. In a way yeah. that could be like really like, um, yeah, intense. And you, can, I guess you can feel that intensity then in mm-hmm. the performance, for sure. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I got to be honest. Then coming out of Harlan Man in the Mountain, Outlaw's Honeymoon was a real letdown for me. Um, I wrote this song is fine. I
1: think that I've thought that about this song probably as many times as I've heard this record most of the times. One thing in the book, this says this is a book in the prime style, hmm. which I tried to listen for and I don't really hear it. I don't hear that either. The only thing I, I wrote about this song is it makes me want
0: to take a vacation. Respect. <laughs> yeah, so there's something to be said for a song that's just like, man, I'd like to go on this train ride. It might um, <laughs> have something to do with the fact that I
1: listened to this record over a dozen times, and almost every one of those was while I was at
0: work. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, that. could have had something
1: to do with it too, but uh, you know what? I'm just gonna,
0: gonna think you it was the song. You <laughs> know what? I've been tending to do, and I, you know, full disclosure, typically do not listen to these records as many times as Tyler does when we discuss them, but I tend to have at least one listen that I'm doing as like a intense headphones, totally focused listen. And then at least one that I listen to like aloud on the spit, like my with my son around. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Where like, so I might not be 100% paying attention, but I'll listen to it more like I would normally listen to music, right? Like Mm -hmm. having some other shit going on. And I think that does like, so that's when I say there's things like, Certain songs will like stop me in my tracks because I wasn't focused already, and then I hear something, and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, like what I want to hear, I want to hear that line again, or like, ooh, that really just got me. Or I, was, I notice when my kid notices, right? Like, what mm-hmm. does he treat as background music, and he like he just continues, fucking playing and bopping his own shit versus like, what does he talk about? And I will, you'll appreciate this. He loves fast shit, and if I listen to something slow for too long, he will straight up go like fast 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 like he wants to listen to skate punk all the time basically you know what yeah, I mean? so like we listen to i'm not joking cur- his current favorite record is suffer by bad religion fuck yeah it is That's <laughs> just- favorite bad religions dude record. It's, that rocks. it's so good it's so good but he'll just straight up like fast 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 and then like kind of do this little like you know like almost like he's like fucking like beavis and butthead yeah. motion it's the awesome zoomies. He gets the zoomy. I, I got to get it on video at some point. The problem is when we're dude, listening.
1: Dude, I, I owe you nothing. Gives me the fucking Zoomies. He's like, I'm dude, fucking there. So
0: good. Well, I got to either start for the for the ones I have on vinyl. I need to start listening to them with him that way because we tend to listen to music from my phone on a Bluetooth speaker, which is fine because it means like you can. It's convenient, right? You can fucking yeah. change things as quickly as you want, but I can't. When he's doing something hilarious, I can't film him. Yeah, because when I try to do that, the music stops, and then he's like, "What the fuck? I was listening to that." Yeah, <laughs> um, I was zooming. So, yeah, man. Like, so <laughs> I can't, I can't stop the zoom, you know. So anyway, these are these are very much modern day first world problems. Um, so from there, it goes into Connemara breakdown which instrumental is song, the first instrumental song, and you know what? You're making me when you when you mentioned like Outlaws honeymoon and making you want to go on vacation Connemara breakdown it reminded me of when i went to Connemara National Park in Ireland which is the windiest place i have ever been on earth this um, is
1: a little irish fucking tune too yeah
0: so it's it's you know named after the Connemara region in Ireland um the national park is beautiful and it is also like just a brutal environment like i was there in august and i got like fucking wind burn on my oh face my God. like just and we weren't we weren't on some like insane hike we were out there yeah. for just like a couple of hours you know but it was we had been in galway and so i know this too because you know steve spent a ton of time out there mm-hmm. um we'll talk a little bit more about galway later um but like it's about an hour outside of of the city of galway in the west of ireland um and yeah like aptly named because this is a you know it's a real like rural mountainous area but like man the the fucking because of where it is like cliffs hanging you know onto the ocean man the 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 wind and shit is like unforgiving so i don't have a ton to say about this instrumental break other than like the title made me think about it and i could see myself listening to some shit like this while walking around in a place like connemara so did you hate the banjo on this song a little bit um i wrote i wrote
1: banjo bangs on the track
0: i wrote i'm feeling it more when the mandolin (laughs) leads rather than the banjo and then i wrote my nose is running and my face hurts just thinking about connemara (laughs) national park (laughs) that rocks and my it is just my wife laughing at me because we were in galway before we drove out there and she was like do you want like a scarf or something and i was like it's fucking august And she was like, you know, it was like warm where we were. And she was like, I was reading that it's really windy there. And I was like, but it'll be like warm wind, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking awesome. And so she is, you know, has her, you know, face tied off and is like ready. And I'm like, just like snot running down my nose, like just getting brutalized, like looking at like sheep wandering on the the side of a cliff in the distance. So
1: brother, that um, rules.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. She was like, this is where your family's from. I see why they left and I was like, that's cold. But yes, that's you're not awesome. you're not wrong. Nothing grows here. <laughs> um yeah, man. It was a good, it was a good trip. We had to, it was very important to us. It's like I went, we went to India, we saw where her family was from. We went to Ireland, we saw where my family was from. Fucking ruled. Um that's all I know about Connemara. Um
1: well, speaking of uh nothing grows here.
0: The dust bowl, baby. Yeah. Leroy's Dust Bowl Blues, dude. I love this song. It's a good one. This is another one that I was like, I think I like it because it's like a blues song with bluegrass in it. And I this is another one similar to Graveyard Shift where I wrote, Man, I'd love to hear them rock this one.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah.
0: Like a full electric band. Totally
1: fucking rock. Um they, uh, in the I, I picked this up already, but in the book, they talk about this being like a lot of Dylan in this song. Yep, I can hear that. And, um, and there's a passage here in January of 2000, in the midst of teaching a seven week course at the Chicago Folk Institute, Steve told Chicago Times reporter Bobby Reed that Leroy Dust Bowl Blues was a pressure song written Hmm. on the spur of the moment when he realized he needed another up-tempo tune for the mountain. In one of his classroom lectures, Steve had illustrated to his students how Woody Guthrie had borrowed melodies or lyrics from older songs and then retooled them for use in his own songs. Now he could use himself as an example of such an artful appropriation. I lifted two things he said of Leroy's genesis. I lifted the subject matter from Guthrie's Do Re Mi, and I lifted the phrasing from Tombstone Blues by Bob Dylan.
0: Dude. the the professor like the 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 ability to Mm -hmm. it it is so rare for someone to have that ability to do like a deep analysis of like songs like that but still have that much feel like he can he can he can break down i stole this here's what's happening here and all that but it never becomes formulaic he's channeling it
1: right like Um, rather than rather than replicating
0: it Right, dude, that is just like I. It's the more I learn about his approach to just like the deeper what was already an infinite level of appreciation goes. Um, and to know that this was a pressure song, like you know, talking about that, like so he kind of like, Yeah, oh, I gotta pull another one together, it. yeah, fuck dude. Off. And the, the lyrics here too, I I loved this, this line, you know, they say California is a paradise. Hollywood turns nighttime into day, but up along the San Joaquin, those city lights might as well be a million miles away when your kids are cold and hungry, wearing worn out shoes, standing in the garden with the Dust Bowl blues. So good. And it also just reminds me too of like, there's a, in addition to like the history of, of, of the Dust Bowl and, you know, Poor folks, former farmers that, you know, were no longer able to farm, migrating out there looking for work, that whole like grass is always greener piece, right? Because yeah, for people like, I think about California, I think of LA and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Man, California is that. California is also the Central Valley, man. Yep. California is also- Death Valley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it is, it is all those places where there is- just as much struggle as there is anywhere else mm-hmm. um and you know you're not, you're not going to know that till you're there um trying to yeah, survive it so it is a
1: badass song yeah vocally you can hear him channeling Dylan too mm-hmm. when he holds out some words it's just uh it's fucking just fucking Chef, chef's kiss it's chef's so kiss Chef, so i was like fucking good
0: if that if that pop didn't clearly come through on the audio Tyler yep. just did an animated chef's kiss. And I it's... I would agree with that assessment of Leroy's Dust Bowl Blues. Blues. Um, next is Dixieland. I'm really excited. You no, know, I thought this song. was your favorite song. Yep. And you were, th- this was neck and neck with the mountain. The mountain won out, but this was like a very close number two. Um, man, there's just so much to talk about here. One is, I mean, I told you, right. I'm very familiar with the record that came after this transcendental blues, which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about next. Um, but I was not familiar with this record before we did this. Um, a lot of Dixieland melodically is basically Galway girl. Um, oh yeah. So I mean, like, yeah. It, well, it's an Irish folks. It's an Irish folk song, Irish folk song <laughs> but like these are, I mean, these are Irish folk songs, but that Steve wrote. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he was writing them in that tradition, but they're not old songs. They're songs mm-hmm. that he wrote in the nineties. Um, And I I just, I, it just made me curious because I was like, oh, parts of this are literally Galway Girl with different lyrics. Like the melody is exactly the same, Um, which was just interesting to me because I wasn't expecting to hear it. This was also where, I mean, before talking about the lyrics, which I'm really excited to get into, this is the song where I'm really hearing that deep connection between traditional Irish folk music and bluegrass, Mm -hmm. you know, which were, I mean, these were laid bare right Those these were the people making this music this is Mm -hmm. what this evolved into is irish immigrants you know into appalachia um this is how this music evolved um in the united states and so um this song like if if if, it made me think about those like professor moments right because it could almost be like a study there of like, here's where you see that connection and then beyond that um I just love the story because I think there are, I mean, it is like a fictional story, but based on true events, right? Real people. And I think there's A a, a
1: real person, a
0: real person. And like you, you, a lot of the history, particularly of Irish immigrants in the United States around the time of the civil war is about things like the draft riots and like, killing black folks because they thought like, why should I be sent to to fight for you and things like that? Mm-hmm. And that, and that happened. That is an ugly part of yep. history. That is real. There were also a shit ton of Irish immigrants that um, fought valiantly for the union. Um, because they were happy to get away from the, yeah, the, the hell they were. Exactly. currently <laughs> living in. And, and so just that painting that picture of history, I really appreciated, And then, the last, I know, I'm talking a lot, man, but the last line. No, you're like, good. I love. I, um, I could talk
1: about this song. I could have talked about this song the whole episode, <laughs>
0: dude. The cl- yeah, seriously, we could. the The class consciousness of like the last, you know, lines stanza. I guess we'd call it like, mm-hmm. I am the Kilrain of the 20th Maine, and I damn all gentlemen whose only worth is their father's name, um, or, the,
1: or the sweat of a working man, and the
0: and the sweat of a working man. Well, we come from the farms and the city streets. A 100 foreign lands and we spilled our blood in the battle's heat now we're all americans like whoo that's like you, you you don't get a ton of patriotism out of me but this is one of the moments where i'm like fuck yeah you know what i mean i like, am patriotic
1: that everyone who wants to come here should
0: come here and be an
1: american i mean dude right that's what i'm saying but like i this... am I'm, I'm a nationalist in the way that if you live in this country you're this nation Oh and yeah. We should all be standing together in 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 against a certain foe.
0: Right. And that and no one no one has any other right to tell someone else who is or isn't an American. Right. Exactly. An American lo-
1: is standing here.
0: Yeah. It's like, are you physically present in the land we call the United States of America? Yeah. Guess Welcome. what? Welcome. Um, but like th- there's something there. I love that connection too, because it's like Irish Republican class consciousness brought over mm-hmm. to the united states where it's like to contrast with you know british hierarchy where it's like your worth is all defined by what family are you from past past right it is your you you are you noble or not and it doesn't matter what the fuck you do it matters who your father is and what capital they owned and all that mm-hmm. kind of bullshit and contrasting that with like no we work we like we make our names for ourselves we come from the farms. We come from the city. We come from all over the world, but like what we have in common is we are not defined just by like, whether or not our parents or grandparents stole some shit from somebody else. Right. Like um, and that, yeah. I mean, I'm talking myself into like, this is why this is, you know, almost my favorite song on the record, but it's like, it's awesome. Um, And not what I was expecting when there's a song called Dixieland. Cause it was about him being like, I don't want to ever go back to Dixieland now that I've yep. gotten out of there, you know? Um, Dude, So yeah, man,
1: it's a brilliant fucking song. I wrote, uh this is my favorite civil war song I have ever heard.
0: <laughs> it's up. It's up there with Swan Swan hummingbird by REM for me. Those are my two favorite civil war songs.
1: Yeah. I just, I, I love it so much. Um, it, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm looking at the things that I tabbed in the book and most of it, you just said, um, the Sorry, only, I got, uh, got a little excited. Yeah, no, no, no. The only things that it says is the 20th Maine. They fought in some of the bloodiest battles in the civil war, including Antietam, mm-hmm. Chancellorsville, and Gettysburg. Um, Joshua Chamberlain is my hero of the civil war. Mm. The fact that they talk about the fact that he, this is the, this is the regiment that he picked. Yeah. To have this song be about um, is certainly um, intentional. Yes. Um, I when I was down with my knee surgery, I watched the Ken Burns Civil War uh, documentary and the, the things that stuck out in my head the most were the things about Joshua Chamberlain in Gettysburg. He pulled something on a hill. Mm-hmm. and basically like kind of invented a tactic on the fly that ran off the rebels mm-hmm. from a position using way fewer men than were coming at them yep uh just by scaring them and making them seem like there was way more yeah um and confusing them
0: mm-hmm.
1: also and doing it in a way that created no crossfire for his men but created a situation where the the confederates could catch themselves in shooting at each other. Yeah. And, um, just fucking brilliant. I, uh, and there's the best, the best story I heard of him. I, it was his last battle. He was leading them up to charge and they were running up to go over and he gets to the top and gets shot through the gut Mm. and he throws his sword down and leans on it and keeps yelling While everybody charges past him and he keeps yelling and, you know, amping everybody up while they're going over because he's not going to let himself fall Mm -hmm. and let them go in scared. He doesn't want them to go in scared because he knows they'll die. So he stands up there and he's bleeding and his blood's like pooling in his boots and he is up there thinking you know this is it for me but the last thing i'm gonna do is i'm gonna be here there for my men and then he fucking lives and he i was about
0: to say he didn't die in battle did he like yeah no he lived through that i was looking it up six times this motherfucker lived until 1914 he got shot six
1: times in the civil war and lived to 1914 incredible
0: yeah. Like to, to be, he died at 85, which was ancient for that what time for a civil war. G. veteran. How did he not get to be president? He did get to be governor of Maine, Good um, for him. but but yeah, never. But look never at where president. Maine's at now, Jesus,
1: I know. Um, Susan Collins, Jesus Christ, yes,
0: um, her, yeah, dude.
1: But yeah, this fuck song's her. just amazing. Also, I love the banjo in
0: this song so much, I don't care if you hate it. I didn't say anything about the banjo, um, like I lo- I love that there's stuff here around like um, wait and Chamberlain was at Appomattox too when the yeah he's the one who accepted he he accepted it who, yeah. Yeah. yeah I was like so you remind G. we we could do G a move. whole dude total <laughs> G move we could do a whole other fucking podcast around. Civil War history, and specifically what we learned from the Ken Burns documentary, because you mentioning that just brought, dude, do you know my my late stepdad, how many fucking times we watched Ken Burns' Civil War and Ken Burns' baseball on VHS to completion? We would have it like we'd be going through like one a night, you know what I mean? Like every night, That's awesome. you know, and I mean, I learned so so much and it was funny too for like both of us you know he him him retaining much more of like i think a frankly just as like an older southern person like empathy towards the confederate cause and then me over time growing more and more like this was not our people man you know what i mean like thinking yeah. thinking about like no like the, the the confederate cause was not a fight for independence it was a fight for the planter class yes you know what i mean and um but like us having and in like, the end they got what they wanted of course they did because they didn't get fucking punished as they should have during reconstruction i i also joke to whenever i go to atlanta for anything work related or otherwise i want to just have a shirt on um with just general william sherman's face on it um just like man i wish they would have let him finish the job um but that's <laughs> and i can say that because i'm a proud son of the south um i'm joking about that but yeah man it's uh that's fucking cool and like just another in, in in the countless line of examples of steve's ability to like Storytell about real history you know um and dude, I'm I'm back on Joshua Chambers Wikipedia page now, and I need to put it down. But dude, until we finish cool. this episode,
1: but yeah, I mean, dude, the 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 line, the line in this uh, in this song, um, I am Kill Rain of the 20th Maine, and we fight for Chamberlain because he mm. stood right with us when the Johnnies came, like a banshee on the wind.
0: Yeah, fucking badass, dude. What a badass. Yeah. Also, in a in a time period where there were lots of great mustaches, he had one of the best. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him, man. And it, it even shows too that the Confederate general John B. Gordon was assigned the task to surrender all arms to General Chamberlain. Um fuck yeah. Um so after that comes They're another comes comes another instrumental where to me, I'll here's all I can say is of the two instrumentals on the record, I like Connemara breakdown better. I don't know why. I think I do too. Um, but also the line at the end of it where Steve says white people could dance to that one. Yeah. I laughed out loud it's so great. hard. What an yeah. all timer, man. What an all timer. I think it's a
1: lovely little jam with a great little joke at the end.
0: That's what it is. Yep. And it is, that's all it needs to be. Um,
1: lonesome Highway go, Blues. Yeah. Long, Lonesome Highway Blues. I, I relate. Long, Lonesome Highway. My bad. Long,
0: Lonesome Highway Blues. I don't have much to I'm say on that. I'm just adding this, another man. word on it. You hated yeah. this one? No, I didn't hate it. I, I oh, thought it okay. was fine, but it, it's it's not one of my favorites. But I was like, this is a this is a fine song. I don't feel like I have a lot to say about it.
1: I just wrote a Steve Earl bluegrass rock and roll.
0: Yeah, it's that.
1: It's a it's a bluegrass rock and roll song. Um, I think the vocal mix on the song works really well.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: I think the the t- the two of them it sounds good. Fuck yeah, man! Sounds good. Song sounds um, good. Song sounds good. Hey, sound hey good. Steve.
0: Hey Steve, you did good. Song um, sound good. My song sound good. That's You've my been review. have talking for so long. <laughs> I know. Well, we're 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 almost wrapping up here. Um, and then the closer is Pilgrim, and what I wrote here is, I really like this song. You know, sometimes the stuff with a spiritual vibe is kind of hard for me to get on board with, but I mm-hmm. I dig this one. I kind of just wish it wasn't as long, um, but I do think it's a good closer, and there is kind of an all star cast of guests who do harmonies on verses with Steve here. Um, in, you know, you could look in the, the liner notes or, or on the Wikipedia page for some of those, but the, the one that I heard distinctively, and I think she comes in like on the third time around is Gillian Welch. Um, and just cause her voice is so distinctive to me. And I think it's the first time on record that I've heard Steve and Gillian sing together. And I thought it was just a beautiful pairing. Um, so yeah, I think this is a fantastic song and a great closer. Probably could have been three and a half minutes instead of five for me.
1: I didn't realize that Amy Lou's on this song as well.
0: Yep. And a That's few, mean. a few other notable folks as well. Um, I like this song.
1: I uh I, I wrote of his slow closers, this one is absolutely brilliant. Um, like the rug from the big Lebowski, it really ties the room together.
0: Well said. Yes.
1: I really think it clear. closes the record in a really in a really good way because he tells all these different stories and then he just tells this little sentiment sending and off. And I think it's a I think it's a good conclusion.
0: It is. And as we, you know, as we've discussed, like every one of these moves is intentional. The song order is intentional. And it's almost like there's a little bit of like, Hey, I've done what I set out to do. Here. Yes. And and that feels really good. And so this is a brilliant way to close that out. Um, well, again, Tyler, I don't know where this record will ultimately rank for me. It won't be at the bottom, but it also will not be in the top five. Um, but for you, this is solidly, what did you say? Four, three. This is solidly four. Solidly four. Yeah. Yeah,
1: This is solidly four. Uh, I I think I, I've determined of my top five Hardway is number five. Okay. It's just, he isn't there yet on he isn't firing on all the cylinders but in the hard way he started the engine for the first time Mm. for what he's gonna do that is gonna bring me in for everything i look for when it comes to him and i think this record is just something i would have never thought he would give me Mm -hmm. that uh I just am fascinated with this song. Doesn't line up with any of the other records that are in my top five.
0: That's true. It is a it is a gift to you as a fucking proud Union son of Kentucky, my friend. I don't
1: lose a single song on this record. Yeah, man. I, I and I and also this song, this record feels like it's over, like that,
0: and it's an hour long.
1: It every time I listen to it, I'm like, huh, it's already over. Damn. That is my reaction every time Pilgrim Rolls are long. Is is oh shit. I'm at the end yeah I am never at ever at a point where I'm like oh god damn it this song right. I just every time I'm like I think just the first the first two songs great to me Carrie Brown used to great on me doesn't anymore somehow I'm still in love with you love it graveyard shift love it and then we hit Harlan man and I'm like well hello
0: well hello and then- yeah
1: the mountain is wonderful outlaws honeymoon i think bops up a little bit and then by the time i'm leroy's Dust Bowl blues i'm like well yeah this is oh shit and then dixieland hits and i'm like hello again
0: yeah like i said i could i want to like teach a university level course just on dixieland and everything that comes with it
1: and then i think long on some highway blues wait it is long on some highway blues for some reason. Yeah, I You were right.
0: Written... No, you were right. And I stand corrected. I was looking at something else. It's 46 minutes long. It's not an hour. Um, Cause there are in typical bluegrass style. There are a couple of really short ones on here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah dude. I, I mean,
1: fuck outlaws honeymoon is only two minutes long. Let's fucking go. Yeah. It rocks dude.
0: There's, there's several songs that are going to from this, that are going to make it onto my, you know, my all time Steve roll playlist, but, yes. but, but also a few that, definitely won't um
1: there are there are to me three there there are four necessary songs on this record
0: what would you say those four are texas eagle
1: harlan man the mountain and dixieland yeah i'm I'm necessary
0: i'm with you on three of those four
1: and you know follow the instagram uh you'll see the artwork for this record is fucking beautiful it's awesome. Uh, what is it? Fitzpatrick guy.
0: You know, the, Fitzpatrick the, guy. Oh, Tony Fitzpatrick
1: is that that the, the guy's name? I've said it so many times, but I've, I forget sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. It's him again. It's great. Um, it's fucking wonderful. It's got tons of little good art and pictures. Um, it rocks. Uh, and you know, I th- I think this is a thing. We never asked for this. If you like the podcast, rate it.
0: Oh, yeah, we do. We, if we if you don't like that.
1: the podcast, uh, rate it and lie.
0: <laughs> you So you're not saying just keep your opinion to yourself. It's just how hard is it to hit five stars and just yes, do it? Yes,
1: it's so easy. Do it for I real. do it on every podcast I listen to, even if they say things that aggravate
0: me. I don't do that. I usually just, I don't give anybody a bad rating. I just you don't rate it. I like look, to rate things. Look, if you are like Tyler... And you get some kind of bizarre satisfaction out of smashing that button. Do it, but I you know what, man? To win. I want everybody I, to win. I'm telling you this, bro. If anybody is with us right now on these deep cuts, listening to these words at the very end of an episode that that really showcased our deep levels of nerdery about everything from Steve Earle to Bluegrass music to um, Appalachian labor history <laughs> to the Civil War. Yeah. I gotta say, if you haven't given five stars yet, what are you doing? Because you definitely feel like this is worth five stars. And 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 some comments too, maybe, you know. Yeah. Um that's fine. Great. Yeah. What episode
1: did you like? What episode did you did you hate? Why?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's yeah. If you wanna lie, go ahead and lie. I'm not gonna stop anyone. But yeah, it's it is always nice um to not only get comments and messages on the Instagram that I will take ownership um, for not always responding to in a timely manner, but always responding. I do always respond, just always not right off the bat, but um, check it out. Tyler, as always, is going to provide some awesome pictures of the record, um, some other cool merch that we've been sharing along the way. and uh, Oh, yeah,
1: I've got a sick mountain shirt.
0: Oh, hell yeah. I'm excited to see it. And uh, as always, friends, thank you again for, for being a part of this journey with us. And until next time, be good to each other and take care of yourself. Hell yeah. Peace.